welcome back to another edition of Good and Grounded, a podcast that actually launched because of the pandemic that we're in and our interest in shedding light on where some of the biggest needs are in our community. And most importantly, to hopefully show and have our listeners understand how they can get involved and help give back to our local businesses and community members. I'm Laura Love, and I think I speak for both my co-host, Jim Licko, and myself when I say we're extremely excited about this episode subject. And as we're all inching back to life as we used to know it, and in this case, getting back to live arts and music in our wonderful Mile High City. Ugh, just hearing you say get back to live music in Denver like puts an automatic smile on my face. <laughs> Today's guest is the Chief Marketing Officer and Business Development Officer for Denver Arts and Venues, which is the city's organization in charge of, and I hope I didn't miss anything here, the McNichols Civic Center Building, the Denver Coliseum, the Colorado Convention Center, the Denver Performing Arts Complex, and of course, the undisputed greatest live music venue on the planet, Red Rocks Amphitheater. Uh, our guest grew up on a ranch as our neighbor to the south in New Mexico. Uh, he's a co-founder of the You Can Play Project, which champions athletes in the LGBTQ community and changing locker room behavior for the better. And when his day-to-day -day activities like they have been for the last couple of weeks have not been keeping him busy, he's also an adjunct professor at the University of Denver. Welcome to the show, Brian Kitts. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm exhausted just listening to all that um, you have been managing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to go take a nap. But before I do that, I, I can't even imagine the year that you have had. And especially as Jim mentioned, the last few weeks, they had to have been pretty insane. But before we get into your crazy life, for those listeners that aren't aware of all the things that Jim listed and that you manage, can you share maybe a 50,000 foot overview of Denver Arts and Venues? Really, how did the division come to be and what do you do day to day? Sure, Arts and Venues is a city agency and so we technically report to the mayor's office and we oversee, uh, just like it sounds, the city-owned venues, uh, all of the ones that Jim listed. Um, but then I think we're also responsible for stewardship of some of the city's cultural life. And that can take lots and lots of forms you know it is the classical arts you know helping with those that are performing in our venues at the arts complex whether it's broadway or um, theater uh, opera ballet the symphony um, you know they are our resident companies and so we do you know we do a lot of stuff with them we manage the city's public art program and so the one percent for public art uh, ordinance that provides uh, funding for arts programs or actual physical art that's related to construction projects. We manage that. Uh, we oversee the distribution of money to tier three uh, arts organizations um, as part of the SCFD program. And then, you know, we're also responsible for the city's cultural plan, which we are about to roll out um, the second version of. So, you know, the 50,000 foot uh, view of this is arts, culture, and then, you know, the venues that you can do all of those things in. 
one thing I know our listeners will, will want to know right off the top, um, and I should note, knowing things have been changing so quickly, and they probably will as this has a shelf life of a couple of months, um, that we're recording this on April 8th. So I just let the, let the listeners know that because God only knows that by April 9th, I'm sure everything will have changed at some point. Um, but um, there was an exciting recent announcement. Uh, where, where do things, Brian, stand right now as far as regulations for live arts and music events? And how soon will we get to listen to some great live music again in, in Denver? You know, I, I, like you said, I think things could change tomorrow. But right now we're planning on opening. And this is, you know, with outdoor venues, um, we're being given a little bit more leeway. So Red Rocks is going to open in just a couple of weeks um, with a capacity of 2,500 people. Uh, right now there will be some restrictions in place, uh, lower yeah, that lower capacity, but then mask mandates and social distance in between groups of ticket holders. Uh, we're, we've got a quadrant system that will help with contact tracing if it's necessary, and then with ingress and egress, uh, in, uh, entrance and exit uh, out of the into and out of the venue. Um, so, you know, I think we've spent a good chunk of the last several months trying to figure out how it's going to look if COVID is still around. Um, how do we open safely and that's the that's the plan for now. So, you know, it is good news. We're ready to go. Um, it's going to feel a little bit different, but, you know, there's going to be people on stage and butts in seats. So, well, I am um, I'm very excited because my butt's going to be in a seat on April 30th for um, Trevor Hall. I'm very oh, happy. Nice. I know I'm super excited, but I am, you know, probably like a lot of our listeners, just it, it feels a little scary to sort of walk back into big public venues and not and not really know what to expect. I think knowing Red Rocks is outside and you certainly are at limited capacity, you certainly don't have a crystal ball. But, you know, thinking about what's next, you mentioned all the protocols that are in place. But from a contact tracing standpoint, have you changed the makeup of your staff or the protocols that you're doing if there is another outbreak this summer? Are there contingency plans in place? Yes and no. It's not necessarily a staff thing, but I think that we're prepared either way to go you know, higher or lower when it comes to capacities. You know, our, our hope and our assumption is that as vaccines kick in and as people continue to, you know, follow some semblance of rules, that those capacities are actually going to increase over the course of the summer. And so that's more what we're preparing for right now than you know, we've already done the shutdown thing and we don't intend to do that again unless, you know, everything goes to hell really fast. But, you know, we are, you know, we have, I, th I think there are a couple of things, you know, the human side is one thing, but I think if there's an upside to what we've learned during COVID is that there are better, better and safer ways to do things. Um, this is more a tech thing than a human piece. And so touchless technologies, whether it is on, urinals, whether it's on ticketing systems, whether it's on concession stands, you know, things that you took for granted at one time, uh, that has changed. And I think that is going to happen. Uh, you know, that's a long-term change. And so I think those are the sorts of things that we are preparing for, not just at Red Rocks, but I know the guys over at Ball Arena, you know, the, uh, the Rockies, you know, everybody who has guests in their building is making these changes. And you've mentioned some of them. I mentioned, obviously, what I'm excited about. But for the listeners that haven't checked out what's going to be at least announced and offered starting in April as far as live music, what else is on on the 
docket? Um, it's a good question, and I think if you are to look at the Red Rock schedule today, it's going to look completely different in probably two more weeks. We're planning on having uh, fairly full capacities, hopefully, by the end of the summer. And so, you know, what happened last year is a lot of those shows were just flipped from 2020 to 2021. Um, at the end of the summer, those are looking like they may stay put. But I think what you're seeing at the beginning of the year is that a lot of acts are already moving to 2022 uh, because they can't afford to play at reduced capacities. The economies of touring just don't make sense. Um, but I think what we're seeing is that there's plenty of interest and activity in uh, taking those, you know, those nights. And so, you know, instead of one night of Lotus or Zoo, you know, we're having many residencies of, you know, four or five nights. You know, Diplo hasn't played at Red Rocks in several years and he's got, you know, two, potentially three nights. So, um, that in and of itself, I think, is really exciting in that we're seeing, you know, some new ways of doing business that, uh, you know, that we hadn't really seen coming. Yeah, that's a that's actually a great transition to to one of the questions I had, which, you know, the last year, I'm sure for, for you as much as, as much as anybody else has been a very, very long, strange trip uh, from last March to to today. Can you give us an overview of what the events and concerts world and, and arts world has experienced in those early days and then through early fall, it kind of quieted down and we all got a little bit hopeful and then it kind of heated back up toward the end of the year and fingers crossed there's a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel here. But what was the last year like? And, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit in your last response, but tell us maybe a couple of lessons you learned along the way, you know, uh, from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, I don't think there's a way to sugarcoat it uh, for anybody who's in this business. And look, we are not any different than what people in the restaurant sector or other parts of entertainment or sports um, have gone through. I think any time when you're in a service industry like we are, uh, it's been devastating. And whether it was musicians or stagehands or concessionaires, you sort of don't realize how many industries one individual concert touches or one individual sporting event until they're gone. And so, you know, our staff at Arts and Venues was all furloughed, but that is still nothing compared to musicians who lost their livelihoods because tours shut down or stagehands because stages shut down or we saw early on the people over, you know, who were costume designers at the DCPA all of a sudden started making masks. So, you know, I think that if we've learned anything, it's that there are, again, better ways of doing it, doing things. You know, that technology, the touchless technologies, you sort of look at kind of the gross things that happen that you don't really think about in a venue. You know, all the people that touch your beer or you know, how sanitization takes place. Those things have changed, and I think those are probably permanent. Um, I think you look at the resilience, and I think that we have learned um, not just at arts and venues, but across the industry that there are really a lot of ways to do your business in a much more creative and thoughtful and economical way. Um, you know, from a more emotional standpoint, I think the thing we've learned is that we will never, ever take for granted arts culture or the ability to get together to watch a game or listen to a band or a singer. 
So you've got an 80th anniversary at Red Rocks. Anything fun planned? I know it's different probably to plan an anniversary in the middle of the pandemic, but anything fun planned for that? Um, so I'm going to couch this. I'm not sure that it's fun, but it is educational. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a pop culture geek and a, and a music nerd. And so I think the nice thing about an, an anniversary of any sort is that you get to look back and, you know, kind of take stock of what has happened. And there really aren't many venues in the world, you know, let alone the United States that have the history that Red Rocks does. You know, the Hollywood Bowl and the Greek, um, you know, Carnegie Hall and probably the Ryman, you know, those are the ones where you can look back and say, man, 50 years ago today, this happened or 80 years ago today, this happened. And, you know, so I love that part about Red Rocks. Um, it is one of those places where, you know, you start out with, you know, opera and ballet being what's on stage there. And then it moves to Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole, and then the Beatles and the Supremes and the Go-Go's and Culture Club and then the jam bands. And so you really get to trace the entire history of a venue like that. Um, you get to trace popular culture, I think, in a really unique way. And so we're going to highlight that on social media. And, you know, I think stuff like that is fun. Um, there's not an easy way to uh, find people who were there in 1941 for one of those concerts anymore. And, you know, that's the nature of time passing. But, uh, you know, we can certainly look back and salute what has happened at a venue like Red Rocks. So. Well, I, I, we know you've been in your role for, I think, going on 10 years now. So you've got a lot of historical knowledge. You talked about the fact that you're kind of a, a you know, pop culture music guru, you, you know a lot about those things. We've got a few rapid fire questions that I think might um, uh, be interesting to ask of you. And if you don't mind, I'll start. Uh, I'll start with the obvious. What's what's your most memorable Red Rocks concert? Um, so I've got two kinds that I love. The first is when you get a chance to see somebody who's playing the venue for the first time. Um, I was there the night that One Republic played for the first time. And they came out on stage and said, you know, we live just down the road and we weren't sure that we would ever play here. And, you know, you can tell that everybody's starting to get choked up and it was sold out. And I think that when you see an artist, uh, Brandy Carlisle is another one who looks up into the, you know, up into the seating area and sees the rocks and, you know, you just can't believe that you're there. I love those types of shows. Um, and then I love the, you know, what they're, they're called legacy acts, but, you know, people who know that history, um, you know, Diana Ross holds the record for having the longest period between the time she first played at the venue and playing there a couple of years ago. She was 75 years old and crushed it. <laughs> and same with Dolly Parton. And that was one of those shows that she comes out and she is so damn funny. And she talks about getting high with Willie Nelson the last time she was at Red Rocks. And that was in the 1970s. And so there's some history there. And so I don't know that I've got a favorite because I like everything, but I think I'm especially conscious of those either first times or, you know, long time uh, performances. All right. I have to imagine you have traveled extensively and have been to a lot of venues outside of our lovely state of Colorado. So do you have a venue crush that is outside of Colorado? 
Yes. And it actually has a tie to Red Rocks. I've never been asked this question before. So, um, it's, it's actually really cool. Uh, the little theater at the Acropolis in Athens. Um, I didn't think about it at the time, but Red, that's what Red Rocks was, um, modeled after. And I remember at the time thinking, this is so damn cool because it's all carved out of stone and it's a bazillion years old. And I just thought I would be so excited to see any type of show here. That's awesome. Yeah. Last but not least, coming out of this pandemic, what what's the venue or what's the show or experience or artist that you're most looking forward to either seeing or experiencing? Um, I like finding new people. And there's a kid named Dermot Kennedy who is going to, who had a show there scheduled last August and it got flipped to this year. He's one of those Irish singers, um, sort of like Louis Capaldi, who had a huge hit, you know, a couple of years ago. And I think his show is going to be one of the hottest ones of the summer when it comes mm -hmm. around. Again, I've got a little bit of a soft spot again for people who are playing there for the first time because um, it's a career maker, I think, for lots of them. And that's the one that I think is going to be really cool. So we always close our show with a call to action for our listeners. It's, it's really designed as a simple way they can help out. They can volunteer. They can contribute. Certainly, other than buying tickets to support these artists and our venues, are there other ways that we can get involved to help support the arts and venue scene? Yes, but I'm actually going to double down on your suggestion to buy tickets. There are still a lot of venues that are not open. There are lots of theaters that are not open yet, but you can buy gift cards and you can buy tickets to shows that will start again in September or December. And, you know, I think that's a vote of confidence in those venues and in those artists and in the, the stagecraft that goes into all of those. And so those small theaters that are in our community and in every community, they really, really need help. And so donating there, um, buying tickets for shows that you think are going to happen, but maybe not till after the first of the year or next summer, that is, I think that's the best thing you can do. Well, it's, it's certainly nice to hear that there is somewhat of a light at the end of the tunnel when you start talking about getting um, back to Red Rocks, of course, but then also, um, you know, hopefully into summer, early fall, what have you, we can start to get back into some of these indoor venues as well. People get vaccinated, all that stuff. And um, we know you're busy right now. We appreciate your time and coming on the show. Um, thanks for the insight and information. And uh, thanks for helping us um, get back out there into some of our awesome arts and, and concert venues. Yeah, absolutely glad to do it. And thanks for what you're doing because helping to spread the word is, you know, one of the most important things any of us could ask for right now. So with every episode, we try to end with one cool thing, one thing that gives us uh, a little sense of normalcy or something cool that made us feel good. Um, mine is related to what we just talked about with live music uh, and, and full disclosure, it's one of our clients uh, at Swallow Hill Music. 
Um, but along with having uh, in-person concerts uh, open back up to some level this summer, they're going to be introducing Evenings All Fresco is what they're calling it, which is basically uh, at the, the Denver Botanic Gardens. Um, they're going to have a group of six, seven, five, six, seven, eight. I'm not sure how many, but different music acts where you can just kind of um, go and walk around at the Botanic Gardens, check out some local music, um, keep yourself socially distanced, but still enjoy the gardens, still enjoy the outside, still enjoy some music. And I just think that's an awesome idea. And I'm so excited to um, actually have a, a little mini music festival like that to, to go to a few times this summer. Um, you can check it out at uh, swallowhillmusic.org uh, and go to their concert page to, to buy a ticket. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun for sure. That is awesome and something to certainly look forward to this summer. I think we're all getting excited about all the new things that are coming out. If um, you are, if you hear of a good story that needs to be shared, let us know, drop us a line, please subscribe and follow us on goodandgrounded.com, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Let's go out and do some more good in our Colorado community. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.